Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Listen up. I won't sugarcoat it. This is the longest cold flu and allergy season we've ever seen, but we're not alone. We've got Instacart. Sure, you may be a coughing snot faucet who just wants mommy, but you're not giving up! Not when cold medicine, fragrant herbal teas, and honey shaped like bears can be delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes! Now let's go win the sick playoffs! Daddy, I just want my soup. Oh, sorry, Sport App says it'll be here in, in a few minutes. <laughs> Instacart for the win. I'm Matchmaker Maria, the founder of Agave Match. For over a decade, I've combined four generations of family matchmaking tradition with modern relationship psychology, behavioral science, and dating trends. With this unique expertise, I answer your dating and relationship questions and interview experts to give you the tools to find or keep the love of your life. This is Ask a Matchmaker. Welcome to the Ask a Matchmaker podcast. This week's guest is Erica Spera. She's a comedian. She's also the host of Shooters Gotta Shoot podcast and the co-host of the Finding Mr. Height podcast. Erica, welcome to the Ask a Matchmaker podcast. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be f- back. Is this the first time you're on here? I did it once with uh, my old co-host, Molly. No, I we think I was on. on your podcast. Were you also no, I think on my I did podcast? one of yours. Yeah, we did one. Oh my God. I don't even remember. You know, you know, this eventually you do like so many episodes, yeah. everything is like a blur mm-hmm. and you're Trying performing across the country. I'm noticing. I have. And, uh, I got to tell you, Maria, I'm, I'm very burnt out of dating apps at the moment. I've kind of been taking a break from trying them. That's good. That's good. Yeah. I just, I've been having better luck this year in person anyway. You know, in the last uh, episode, that's actually what I said on, on my podcast, uh, that, uh, there was a point where I felt burnout, especially as a taller woman. Um, I was, and you're tall, we're the same height, right? We're the same mm -hmm. height. And I was like, I can't, like, I can't handle this. It had nothing to do with like the height. It was just that the moment people have that filter on both ends of the spectrum, both men and women. suddenly it's like a really lopsided game because even if I was interested in dating someone taller than me, I'm competing with the whole range of heights. Mm -hmm. And then if I'm talking to someone who's shorter than me, there is this balance of like, well, you know, how does she, she says she's open to five foot nine, but is she really, you know, this sort of conversation. And I was just so tired. I was like, I wish you could get rid of height. And then I just turned off the online dating apps and just focused all of my attention to like making new friends, getting out there and just really expanding my network. Tell me how you, when did you take a break from online dating and how has that been going? Uh, recently, like in the past month, uh, I didn't fully delete the dating apps because with the podcast, we'll do episodes where we got to reference stuff and know what's going on. But I just really have not been on them yeah, probably for a month at least. Mm-hmm. And it's, and it's hard because I am a subscriber and a believer of, you know, you have to do something. You have to be putting mm-hmm. yourself out there in some way, 
right? I don't believe that it happens when you least expect it. It happens when you're not looking. Because to me, I'm like, not looking is zero effort. Is I'm home on my couch, not even like having dinner with a friend, right? Right. Something. Um, But it's just, it's hard because I feel like a lot of people I know that it's worked out online. Mm -hmm. They either hit the lottery of they only went out with a few people and it worked out with one of them. Yeah. Or they look at you and they go, oh, honey, (laughs) I went on a hundred dates, right? Mm -hmm. And so just one, my career is at night and it's picked up more lately, which is great. And I'm happy about it. But then it weirdly was making me frustrated of, oh, I'm not going on one date a week or, you know, talking to the potential of a date with this guy on this app. And I just I just got burnt out of it because I hit the point where I was like, what do I want to do? I have a night off. What do I want to do? And a lot of times I want to have dinner with some friends, go out and be social in some way, but not have this pressure of trying to get, you know, X number of dates per week or per month or any free night. I was filling in with a date. And then I also probably wasn't being my best self on the date either, you know? Yeah, because it's, it's your one night off. You put a lot of eggs in that basket of like, this has to go well because this is my one night off. And well, let me ask you a question, right? Um, you know, in the female comedian sphere, uh, especially like, you know, you like you said, you perform at night. Um, have you had the opportunity to speak to, you know, other comedians who are in, um, relationships and like, tell me a little bit more about who you're dating and how do you juggle, you know, the different hours. See, this is where it's really hard is a lot of comedians are not married or in like long-term serious things. It's like rare, Yeah, but there's some, there are some, some. uh, it's just more, it's hard of a lot of them. One are dating other comedians and I have tried that and I've decided against that for the future. Um, but it's primarily because I'll see certain people that are very good about balancing their work and their relationship. And then other people that the relationship is very one-sided of that person is always put on the back burner. They never take those nights off to carve date night time. And I guess their partner's okay with it because they're still working out. But I look at that relationship and I say, eh, is that what I want? No. And I'm the one that's the comedian that would have to take nights off. Right. Um, but I've just felt it's hard to meet people through them that are outside the comedy world, if that makes any sense. No, that, that's the part that makes that sense. It's frustrating because I have I have plenty sense. of male yeah. friends, but all their other friends are comedians. Mm-hmm. So that's especially why I've felt pressure with online is indirectly saying to myself, well, if you're not doing online, you're probably going to end up dating another comedian again. And I've had that fail enough times to make me say, eh. This is not the best and not in terms of they're bad people, but to be in that same industry that's already competitive enough and then you have the double of it's your partner, it's very hard to like really feel celebrated by your partner if you get something that they don't have or that they have never gotten yet. Here's the advice I would give to you as a friend, but even as a professional matchmaker, like you are clearly a person that... um, you are a sparkle on the cake, right? And does that make sense? Like a sparkler, right? Those things, right? And I feel like when there are people like this, and I will tell you that I self-identify as that sparkler as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I'll give a shout out to my girlfriend, Joyelle, who's also a female comedian. She's definitely a sparkler as well. Um, I think 
in those kinds of relationships, when you are sparklers, you need to find someone who's going to anchor you. So do I think that I like, even, it doesn't even have to be like, you're talking about like comedians. Right. And I would tell you that I don't think you should date a comedian. I think it's like a terrible, terrible way to go. It's very tough. Cause you're I've the sparkler, it. right? There's only tough. room on that cake for one sparkler. The rest is the table. If we're looking for the yep. table, that person's going to anchor you down, keep the cake, mm-hmm. you know, leveled. Right. And um, you know, I look at my husband, I look at Joyelle's, um, partner and I, to myself, I'm like, Ooh, look, very anchored, stable career, mm-hmm. nine to fivers with great health insurance. Uh, you know, like this is, these are the sort of things that like I think about and you're not, you know, you're not the only person that I know that's in this like nightlife world. There's plenty of sparklers out there. And I just, I always go back to like, you have to find your anchor because then it's just, it's what you just said. It's the competition for glory. And uh, look, I'm here to give you some hope, Erica, that like, it is possible to find your anchor. Um, it is possible for you to constantly be the sparkler. And there is someone out there that like, there are a lot of people out there who would love to be married to a sparkler. Right. Yeah. It's, you know, it's so interesting. I was talking to my friend the other day of, you know, if you date someone and you bring them to meet people, there's something of the people that are, you know, charismatic and they could go to the room and talk to everyone and, and that makes you more attracted to them, right? Hmm. But then at the same time, so I could not date someone like that. I need to be the yeah, charismatic the same, one in the relationship. Right. Or That's at the same much. time, there's there's something to the charismatic person where sometimes you're like, actually, I want the quieter person in the corner who is social and can talk yeah, to people, sure, but isn't the it's not necessarily the star. They don't the need show, to work the room. Yeah. Yeah. They don't need to work the room. I look at it like I need someone that has the BDE, the quiet, confident energy where they are confident in themselves to one, let me shine and let me do my thing and not one feel the need to like take over what I'm doing or mute what I'm doing and be like, well, that kind of, you know, like very, I'm confident in who I am. Uh, But yeah, that quiet, that quiet energy. It's almost like, or I say the, I'm the in front of the camera person and you want the behind the camera person who just has no desire to be in the front. I am married to one. These men exist. You just have to find, like, I got to tell you though, when you meet them, they're like boring. Like they're just keeping it themselves. What you said, they're at the corner. Like, uh, you know, I, every year I go to this event that happens in New York city with my husband. It's always at, it's at the mayor's, um, house at the Gracie mansion. Uh, it's like this, like Greek independence day thing. It doesn't matter. And I always get invited with my husband. And I know that when we get there, uh, I will walk around the room with George. So like, We'll go look at the architecture and the paintings. Maybe we'll find someone we both already know, or we'll start talking to someone we just met. And then at some point I'll be like, are you good here? And he'll say, yeah. And then I'm like, great. And then I, for the next 45 minutes, I work the shit out of that room. I will Uh know 50 people before I leave, you know, like do what I got to do to be extroverted. And then I look at him every 10 minutes, like you're good. You're good. And then I come back. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, all right, I got my extroversion needs out. I've protected his introverted cocoon. Mm-hmm. But the reality of these people is that like, you know, at sight, you, these are the people that we might ignore. Oh yeah. And I notice it immediately on dates with, if I just, you know, talk about comedy, mm-hmm. there's usually two answers with men. A lot of times it's either, wow, that's so cool that you do that. I could never do that. I love comedy. I think it's so cool. That's right? the guy you should or, date. <laughs> right. That's the guy. Or there's the guy that always says, you know, I always thought about doing that. Oh, oh I no. thought it would be so cool to be one. And I'm like, you're not my guy. You can't. I've learned with all the people I've dated. If there's this much, like a little bit of desire for them to do it or be quote that in front of the camera thing, 
I've found it doesn't work out of, they tend to not actually be supportive of what I'm doing. There is one exception to this rule in your world. All right. And just, and just humor me for a second. But if you tell a man that you are a comedian and he starts monologuing George Carlin, that doesn't mean he wants to be a comedian. That's okay. Like, I feel like we got to give a pass to the guys who have memorized George's. Oh yeah. People that are a fan of comedy. Great. Yeah. Because a lot of times I even would find what apps because I started putting comedian on my profile also because I'm full time now. So it would always come up quickly anyway. And I said to myself, this really deters someone. Let it deter them. Right. This is what you do is what it is. But always in those conversations, an easy thing that comes up is stand up and people will say, oh, my gosh, I love this person. I loved their special, blah, blah, blah. Or even on a date, the quoting the comedian. Fine. Yeah, totally fine. Because I'm sitting there saying, hey, this is something we connect on. They obviously yeah. like watching funny things. That's my go to type of show when I'm chilling on my couch. Something funny. So, no, I'm not at all. Not at all opposed to that for sure. Is there um, if they told you a comedian they really like, is there any comedians? And you don't have to answer this if it's like too personal. <laughs> but are that there I any like comedians? Off? Yeah, that's like, ooh, that's like deal breaker. You can't like this kind of comedian. <sighs> it's more it crushes you. Because you, I'm a little bit of a snob in the art form, right? Of like, there's certain comedy that these people are so famous and they, they kill it, they crush it. However, it's like, yeah, part of the reason they're famous is their stuff is very basic. It's very broad. Anybody can understand it. So it's more, I more try to just judge if they say certain comedians, I'll say to myself, they, they're not really a fan of standup where it's not a medium. They binge a lot. They only know the most popular of the, the most popular if that makes sense. No, that, that totally makes sense. Or uh, it might just mean our humor is different. Yeah. No, there's no, plenty no. of comedians uh, that it's not even like a hacky standpoint. It's just, I just sometimes to test my relationship with my husband, we like, we love going to comedy clubs. That's like our mm-hmm. date choice. And there's a comedy club in New Jersey that we like to go to. Um, shout out to stress factory. <laughs> and there was this, like, I think like the last time we went, there was this comedian that was performing that like I just did not like his jokes. They were just mm-hmm. very right wingy, if that makes sense. Yep. And like, I just felt like, oh, this is so lazy. Like, right. You know, I don't know. It just felt like it's like they're using the word, the woke word without, I was like, what does that mean? Yeah. Like, who is this mm-hmm. comedy for? I was just so confused. I'm looking around the audience and, you know, we blindly went, we go blindly to the, cause that's how you learn about new comedians. You can't just go to the ones that like, you know, mm-hmm. that's how you discover who's out. So we're there. And then on the car ride home, I was like to George, I was like, so what'd you think? <laughs> and he was like telling me like, you know, George is always like the, the more optimist than I am. So he'll start telling me like the five things he really liked about him. Okay. And I'm like, really? You like that about it? you like Fine. that? And then he goes, well, wait, let me tell you what I did like about him. And then he started going down the list of like, okay, thank God. Like, I, but like for a second, I was like, Oh my God. You know, mm-hmm. and, uh, that's like, I think that's a lot of fun to go to comedy clubs in general because the dopamine gets released to such a high extent that it's like more attractive, mm-hmm. but I can't say this to a oh, comedian definitely. because you guys are, that's like your night job, your right. night job, your I, job at night. Yeah. But, but also funny of, I watch so much comedy. So some stuff I don't like notice as much as my friends, two sure. of my friends came to my show recently. And there's this one comedian who is, uh, also new to working the cellar like I am. And he's been killing it. And everybody usually loves him. Uh, but apparently he did a bit uh, and he used 
the R word. Is it okay if I say it in this context? Like the R word? What's the R word? Retard. Oh, wow. Right? So, and and obviously our lifetime, we've seen that word be okay to say and then switch to not okay to say, right? Yeah. And it's just a word I'm like, oh yeah, I haven't heard that word out loud in a very long time. Yeah. And it was so interesting that it just, they were like, oh my God, I used the R word. And so one, it was the only thing they remembered about him. And two, they were like, yeah, not a fan. But that's something too that's like, you go to comedy shows. Humor has and- shifted dramatically. Like the other day, um, I was speaking to someone and they repeated something I was saying in like, uh, let's say a sort of like flamboyant way. Mm-hmm. And I was like, why did you say it like that? Like I asked them, like, why did you just say that like that? And they're like, oh, I, you know, I was pretending to be gay. And I was like, that's homophobic. Like, you don't have to, yeah. you don't have to do it like that. Like you didn't have to do any of that. You don't, I didn't ask you for an impersonation. Right. But and, it's, uh, yeah. but it's nice in that date standpoint, you kind of get a read on people Oh yeah. with certain topics, you know, or it's another one could laugh. be right. Or another one could be, do they get uncomfortable if there's anything sexually being talked about and like little things like that. And I'm not saying you have to write someone off either way, but it's, it's pretty eye opening if like the word R word comes up and you and your date either agree or disagree on like, if he was like, yeah, whatever. So what? You could say it's not that big of a can deal. I, and you're sitting there like, eh. yeah. Can I tell you though who my current girl crush is? It's a it's a comedian. Is like I'm Taylor obsessed Tomlinson? with her. Who? Taylor Tomlinson? No, I'll look her oh, up. Oh, she's after. great. Yeah, watch um, her Netflix specials. Amazing. Okay. Well, she this this woman does not have a Netflix special that I know of, but she has a YouTube show called Chicken Shop Date. Oh, Amelia. I didn't know she was a comedian, but she, I love those interviews. Oh my God. I'm like obsessed with her. I, I will them. know I have made it when I get myself on either chicken shop date or hot ones. I was going to say hot ones. Like if I one. ever yeah. make it to that or even um, mythical mornings, do you know what that is? No, I don't. Mythical morning is this show with two guys who they've been friends since they were kids and, um, they have a YouTube show. It's like, I think a top 10 YouTube show. It's like extremely popular. If you like mm-hmm. are on YouTube, like if you're the kind of person who like does YouTube over other social media, you know, mythical guys. Mythical morning has such a massive impact on my marriage because my husband watched their episode on vasectomies where both of those men got a brosectomy. Like they okay. went to get a vasectomy together and they called it a brosectomy. And, and then my husband went and was like, cause at first he was like on the fence. And then he watched that episode and he's like, I'm going to get a vasectomy. So him and a friend, they went and got a vasectomy. Like, whatever. Also hilarious. You bring this up right now. Did you know vasectomies go up 40% during March Madness? Are you serious? Because obviously there's like the recovery time. You have to sit on the couch and men will time it out to schedule their appointment where March Madness happens because there's basketball games all day. It's the most exciting time, you know, so you could have those, those couple days that a lot of people end up taking off work or like skipping work to watch anyway. Yeah, I, I just looked it up yesterday. Not a single friend that watches March Madness. So to me, this is so like funny. news. This is amazing. Yeah, 2021, it was 50%. So I would up. assume it's like up 100% right now because um, in a lot of states, you know, a woman's access to health care is being severely limited. And I have heard, like in the newspapers, I have heard that like vasectomies wait times now is like four months to get one because they're so backed out from 
Well, I think partly that. And also, uh, I think a lot of people had pandemic babies just because we were home more and there's less to do. So people there's are no way that there's no such sex. thing. I don't, that, there's no, no way there's is there no, not? no, there's I feel like, like a, everyone I know had a kid. <laughs> I mean, I had a baby in May of 2020. I got pregnant before and there's going to be a global pandemic, right? But the only people who had kids like by choice during the pandemic were people who did not have kids before. Right. There's just no way in hell. Like I would have gotten pregnant during the, like it was just stressful period. The first year before, before, Mm -hmm. before vaccines became available that like the idea, but also I'm not, that's my, I don't want you think it's my opinion. Um, like studies, like actual statistics, like you can go and look up like there was no baby boom plummet. No, there's no baby boom. Wow. And it's, it's completely plummeted in those two years. Um, like to the point where there's like, you could see that there's going to be an effect in 18 years when mm-hmm. those people go into, like it just drops of how many, and you see yeah. this like Korea also now, I think it's like 1.4, like the, um, the, the birth rate is actually less than one. I think in Korea, I think it might be 0. 0.7. Mm. So, uh, yeah, no, no, the pandemic did shit for the, <laughs> who can well, afford vasectomies to have a up, then Vasectomies are up. <laughs> All right. So today's episode is about a topic. I don't want to say a touchy topic. It's just a topic. Yeah. And in talking about this, you've been public about this topic. And I reached out to you and I was like, Hey, do you want to have a conversation about herpes? And you're like, sure. And you know, uh, you know, and I know that we both write content that makes it seem like herpes is not a big deal because it's not a big deal. It's just mm-hmm. a skin condition. So let's talk about it. Let's have a conversation. So that way, if you have herpes or your partner has told this, you have herpes, this is the episode you're going to like listen to together. This yep. is how we're going to treat this episode. Any, any, anything you want to preface before we get started? Um, I mean, there's a lot of myths people assume about herpes out the gate that I don't know if you want me to debunk these real let's, quick. Let's talk. The, let, let, that's great. Okay. Let's talk about the myths. So the very first one. Herpes is an STI, right? However, it's not transmitted the way all other STIs are transmitted. Like if I have chlamydia actively, I have sex with you without a condom with chlamydia, you will get chlamydia. Herpes does not work that way. So the number one myth is you have sex with someone that has herpes, you will automatically get herpes. Not at all true. I've had it for six years now. I have never given it to another partner. Uh, The other big myth with women is that if you have herpes and you have a baby, your baby will have herpes. Not true at all. It is like a blood, it is in your blood with the antibodies, but that does not get transmitted to children. And if you don't have an outbreak while you give birth, your baby will be fine. Okay. Uh, But when you say outbreak, like the, like the vaginal walls. So if you have like a physical outbreak with herpes. So if you do, if you you do have an outbreak, you have a C-section and the baby is fine and the baby will not have herpes. And then you just have a shitty month trying to recover in your bed from those stitches. Let me tell you, man, seven layers of stitches. All right, continue. Exactly. Uh, And I'd say the third myth is that you have to be on medication every day for the rest of your life. Also not true. A lot of people that have herpes do not take a a daily medication. Uh, And a big part of that is figuring out what your own triggers are for outbreaks um, or even just how frequently you have outbreaks. I'm fortunately someone that really does not have outbreaks frequently and I don't take the -the over-the-counter medicine and I still have not passed it to other people. So it's an option, but it's not a, you know, mandatory thing you must be taking to not pass it to somebody. It just lowers the chances of passing it to somebody. These are three great myths that you've debunked. And I'm really proud of us starting out this way, because I think that like 
kind of sets the tone that like, Hey, here's what we're doing. All right. So I have some statistics first. Great. So, uh, walk me through this. I'm going to pretend I don't know shit about herpes for a second. Okay. Okay. So herpes, uh, there's two types of herpes. Yes. Yes. Type one and type two. Okay. And what is type one? So this is where I think some stuff needs to, needs to change. Right. Because I've had doctors mess this up, uh, with me when I have a new doctor of there's type one, which is often labeled as oral herpes. And then type two is often labeled as genital herpes. However, both of these types you can get in either place. It's just quote, more common type one is oral and type two is only genital. Now I know many people and I'm one of them that have type one genitally. So it's interesting that a lot of times if people get diagnosed just through blood work and there's no outbreak, it gets waved off as cold sores and doctors sometimes won't even tell the patient that they saw that in the blood work. They're like, okay, yeah, they probably get cold sores. Who cares? And I've also, you know, I have Valtrex medication on hand uh, just to have in case I have an outbreak. And anytime I ask for a refill, a lot of times doctors will say, what do you need a refill for? You just have type one, like that's just a cold sore. And I have to say to them, no, I, I have it vaginally. So if I have an outbreak, I would like to take medication. But also if I start dating someone, I do usually take the meds in the first couple of months as a extra precaution. So really one of the only bigger differences is type two is typically more painful when you have an outbreak and you are usually more likely to have more frequent outbreaks, but that really still just depends on the person. All my friends that have type two, they have had different triggers. They figured out one friend of mine is if she doesn't get a lot of sleep, if she's had a terrible week of sleep, she'll often start having an outbreak. Uh, I have another friend that usually right when her period's coming, she'll often get two bumps or something like that. Uh, again, depends on the person. And it's funny that a lot of them are like, weirdly, my herpes outbreaks are actually telling me I'm not taking good care of myself, of right. I'm under a lot of stress. I'm You've not lowered sleeping. your immune system. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So, but really, I literally just Googled it's not that much. While you were speaking, I literally just Googled if I have a cold sore in my mouth, does it mean I have herpes? Does it say yes? Because it, it does. Yes. And I think okay. I have herpes now. <laughs> Well, this is something I always get messages about anytime I do a pod is people go, well, I get cold sores. Do I need to disclose that to partners? And should I say herpes? And I'm like, look, you don't have to say herpes to somebody. Okay. However, yes, I think the world would be a better place if everybody treated them the same, because how we treat cold sores is I'll let you know if I feel one coming or if I currently have one and we won't kiss, we won't share food, like simple things like that. And everyone says, oh, okay, great. And no one blinks an eye. Meanwhile, right. I'm like, that's exactly how I handle my herpes with people. Is, that happened like hey, two I'll let you know. to me. I had like a cold sore in my cheek where like the teeth meet. Mm. And, um, and I, but I didn't, I'm, I'm now, look, I have to take a blood test. I, no one's ever told me anything. Yeah. Like last time I had an SED panel, uh, was when I had a pap smear. Well, hilarious. Also, I should have included this in the myths. Most people assume herpes is on your STI panel and it's not. What? It's not. If you are not, basically, if you're not getting your blood drawn in your SDI panel, then it definitely isn't. So the only time I've had it show up is when I check in for the HIV test because they have to take blood. Uh, but in your routine testing, they don't test for it, partly because it's so common, but mainly because it's actually not detrimental to your health whatsoever. It's more so detrimental to your mental health than your physical health. But Before yeah. we started, I went on the WHO website, the World Health Organization website. So herpes type one, 
So here we go. I'm going to tell you percentages. Okay. So in America, that includes the United States, 178 million women and 142 million men have herpes. That's literally half of the population. Yep. And Very then hard. in Europe, and I want to talk about Europe in a second, in Europe, 207 million women and 187 mm-hmm. million men have herpes. That's two thirds. That's 70% of the population. Yep. And it's partly because I think they don't have such a stigma about it. That... So that's what I want to talk to you about. Like, so, okay. This is like the most non-scientific poll I've ever done, Yeah. but I reached out to five people in five different countries in Europe in the last okay. two days to be like, do people talk about herpes in like your circle of friends? Mm-hmm. And they're all of them were like, not like in America, like in, in here, it's just, oh, I have a cold sore or I can't have sex this week. Yeah. It's like, everyone just assumes you have it. Nobody talks about it. It's just live your well, life. It's just because they're, they're more sex positive in general. They, you know, they look at Americans and they're like, you guys barely fuck. We fuck, you know? <laughs> well, I think it's also like, it. there's like also like a really like extreme lack of comprehensive, like sex education here in America. And oh, then what that, is yeah. educating us in America is like, pharmaceutical commercials. So mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, I used to live in Europe for five years. Right. And, and specifically when I was in college as a sexually active adult, you know, a young adult, but nonetheless sexually active. Right. And at no point was I ever concerned about like, Oh my God, am I going to get herpes or am I going to get chlamydia or whatever? Because I was just like, oh, I'll just deal with it. If I get something, and exactly. of course I was using a condom and I was in a committed relationship and all that, you know, whatever stuff could decrease chances. Right. But the mindset behind it was like, because I lived in Europe where pharmaceutical commercials are not allowed on TV, there was no such thing. Like you watch like a, like some commercials and you're like, this looks like a tampon commercial. Oh, Mm -hmm. I can ride my bike. I can play basketball. I can go swimming with my herpes. Like Mm -hmm. that doesn't happen in Europe. In Europe, it's like, I have a cold sore. I can't chill with, I cannot do that part with you. Let's mm-hmm. move on. So how much of the stigma in a year America is like built by pharma school companies? Oh, a lot of it make is. Sure you have. Oh, okay. So because that was, when that was a Valtrex really good, was okay. tell me, yeah, no, I've, I've looked this up. Um, and basically when Valtrex was invented, uh, at first people were just using it when they had an outbreak. They is that by GlaxoSmithKline? Is that by GSK? Uh, I believe so. It's Valisiclior is like another Google. version of it. Basically, Valtrex is like the, you know, big brand. And I like even my medication is, you know, some type of generic brand of a form of Valtrex. Uh, But when it was first made, you know, people were only having, let's say, 15 pills a year of, oh, I just take some pills when I feel something's off, I have an outbreak, blah, blah, blah. And then, because I think it also was at the time of the AIDS epidemic. So obviously, everybody was mostly concerned about AIDS and it was like herpes, who cares? That's nothing. You take a couple pills, you're good. But then, there started to be more of a stigma and that there were like commercials and things like that, but it was more hinting on the shame of having herpes and the oh, yeah. fear of passing it to people. And, but the pharmaceutical company obviously sits there and goes, well, the average person with herpes has 15 pills a year. If we basically make them think they need to take this every day, now we're selling 365 pills a year. So yeah, there's a lot of data and theories about but also the pharmaceutical shame, companies like-, like pushing the shame of it. Yeah. The stigma and the shame. I mean, you also see in popular culture. Um, I specifically remember, you know, in White Chicks, uh, one of the wealthy blondes 
um, does, you know, a herpes commercial and they're like laughing at her, even though that's Mm -hmm. her job. She's an actress. And the same thing with um, Joey in Friends. He does a venereal disease ad and they're making fun of him. And I'm like, he's an actor. That's Mm -hmm. his job. Yeah. But it's, it's all the stigma and the shame for it. Or even for me, like dealing with and coping with having it it's way more, it was way more of a mental health problem than a physical health problem at all. And anybody that gets it will say that because it's the shame of having it. And it's also sitting there saying, wow, so many people have this, like you read millions of people. However, you sit there and say, I don't know one person though that does. And so it's something people often keep very private, very close to their chest uh, or, you know, lie about it because they don't want to be shamed as either, you know, slut shaming or whatever. It's just the shame of having it really is like the hardest part to deal with. I will tell you that, um, when I first moved to New York, a couple months later, I got HPV Mm -hmm. and, you know, uh, I noticed like something different down there. I went to the doctor and I went to a gynecologist recommended by a friend. Right. And the shame that she put me under while I was getting, she was like dropping acid Mm-hmm. Like she was dropping acid onto my skin to like treat, you know, this, the, 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 what I was getting from HPV that was extremely painful. And she was telling me like, every time you talk to a man, you have to tell me of HPV. And so that like scared Jesus. the hell out of me. Right. Yeah. So then, um, I had a, it took like a few weeks for it to go away. It wasn't going away. And then one of my friends was like, why don't you just go to another OBGYN? Because what you're saying is doesn't sound like normal. Mm-hmm. So I found like, then I went on Google and I was like, OBGYN in my zip code. And I found someone, um, you know, on fifth Avenue actually. And I went there and I was like, Oh, Hey, you know, like this and this, this is what I've been getting. And she's like, why <laughs> she like, did she just looked at it and she's like, why are you shaving your vagina, your vulva, mm. your skin? And I was like, so that, you know, I can keep track. She's like, just stop shaving it for a little bit and let it heal. Yeah. And sure enough, five days later, I looked down and just, it just disappeared. Like whatever was yep. there, just like, it just didn't exist. Mm-hmm. So then a, like two weeks later, I happened to have like a checkup with my actual primary doctor. And I was like, well, you know, Dr. X said, you know, I have to tell every guy and now I don't know what to do. Can you like, can you give me a formula of like what I say to people? Mm-hmm. And the doctor was like, you don't, have to, it's HPV, Maria. We don't even test yeah. men. Like 98% of singles in New York have it. So mm-hmm. you telling, and then this is what advice from a doctor for HPV now was you telling someone just stigmatizes you unfairly when they might already have it. And if they don't have it, they're for sure getting it with their next sex partner. Yep. And I've never had a single outbreak since then. Even when I gave birth, um, my, in fact, my, my current OBGYN said that like, it's probably passed. It's like gone. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's what the words that they use. Don't, don't murder me in the, in the comments here. Um, but I found it to be like, wow. Like I totally understand what you say about like a mental health problem until like someone tells you like, just chill for a second. Mm -hmm. As long as, you know, now I, and you know, now you can get vaccinated. Like, you know, this happened a year before the vaccine came out. So now you can get vaccinated for HPV. Even people who have had HPV can get vaccinated with Gardasil. And, um, you know, you get a pep smear every year or every three years, depending Mm on, you know, whatever. So let's talk, let's go through, um, I have a few more, um, stats. Yeah. So we were talking about the different terms of herpes. So we said herpes one is mislabeled and herpes two can be like, 
Uh, but it seems like herpes too is like way less common. Um, yeah, it technically is less common in terms of stats. If you pull it up, like I think I believe when I looked it up, it was like, how many people have herpes? If you include type one, it was, I think, I believe like 70%. Yeah. Was what the stat was. But like and then 10% if you say just HSV2, right. It was like one in six. Yeah. I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, it's like, yeah, less. However, you know, still super common. Or like I said, that's why calling HSV1 orally, I, I say is incorrect and they should stop doing that because they are finding the majority of HSV cases are type one genitally. Wow. Because okay. also our culture changed of like people, my generation is not as common for them to have cold sores, but also as kids and children, we don't kiss children on the mouths anymore. And a big part of that was because that was usually how everybody was getting cold sores, was getting it from older adults that would like kiss babies. So that's partly why we don't really kiss babies anymore. Do you come from a family where people kiss kids on the mouth? Do your parents? You know what? I remember when I was growing up, people would, but then like by the time my sister was born, she's five years younger than me. People stopped. Like you kiss a baby on the forehead or the top of the head. But like, I remember when I was young, I would like give my dad or my mom a kiss on the lips sometimes. But then with my sister, that wasn't like a part of her generation. I've never seen a Greek person do this. (laughs) Well, it's usually kisses on the cheek. Yeah, it's kisses on the cheek two times. God forbid you mm-hmm. don't do the second time. But uh, but yeah, no, I I can see how that would stop. Um, I've heard I've heard of um, unfortunately, you know, little kids getting herpes, uh, you know, days in, and um, that sucks when that happens because you know their immune system's already pretty low to begin with. Okay, so we talked about stigma in Europe versus the U.S. Let's look at some of the questions that were sent to me um, sure. from some listeners. Okay, so the first one, how to deal with rejection resulting from disclosure. I mean, I'm someone that I've been rejected many a times, even after being public about it and being so, you know, I don't care. I tell anybody whenever, right? I mean, the biggest thing is someone rejecting you for herpes. This person was probably going to reject you for some other reason eventually. And I think like one good thing about having it is it does let you know where you stand with people. And sometimes that means, do they want a more serious situation? Were they looking for something more casual? Um, but more so, it's anything you tell someone like herpes, let's say you have, uh, let's say you had bipolar disorder, like anything that was really pers- personal. And essentially you're handing them a reason that they could reject you and they could walk away. And you're almost giving them an easy out in a sense. Anytime you do that, I feel like you're just getting your answer from that person of, are they into me? Do they want to date me? And if they're not, well, I just handed them an excuse on a platter that they could use right. to essentially walk away. Everyone that's on the fence with dating in general, like, you know, cause I see this at work too. Like someone will be dating someone that I set up mm-hmm. and they're still like, oh, we've been dating for like three weeks and I'm still not sure, but I'm enjoying them and I'll, I'll just keep dating. But the moment you give them a reason, like yep. today I heard a reason, like, I don't like pit bulls. And I think he has a pit bull. You just gave this person <laughs> a reason. So it yeah. could be a pit bull. It could be uh herpes or cold sores. You know, it, it doesn't matter. The, the, it is the, the thing that's breaking up. And I, and I completely agree with you, Erica. Mm-hmm. Well, also, because this is why I tell people don't tell someone right before you're about to have sex, because you're making them make a decision right away too. So people that, that are decisions are reaction to what you're saying. Right not necessarily like a thought out, you know, response. Right. So the same thing with 
I've told people and they didn't reject me right away, but they like took time to think about it and research it a little bit or talk to their doctor. And, you know, it showed like, oh, they would always say, I am into you and, and I don't want to be so quick to like leave this. And I, and I like where this is going. Can I just have some time on, you know, the having sex part? And I'm like, of course, obviously take the yeah. time you need. Right. Yeah. Um, but essentially it's like anyone that has a real interest in you will at least take some time. Anyone that rejects you right away was probably going to reject you for some other reason down the line and not, you know, really commit and want a real relationship. Someone asked when to tell I have never had outbreaks and I'm on meds. My doctor hasn't given clear guidance. Well, the general is, you know, you got to tell them before you have sex with them at some point. But I think this is interesting for your followers because you have your 12 date rule, right? Yeah. And I thought about that the first time I heard your 12 date rule was, okay, I have herpes though. When do I tell them the herpes? Because it feels like You're I'm something back. being shady or hiding something if I, if I wait till the 12 dates, right? Yeah. No, I agree with you. I have a number in my it. head. I want to hear what your number is. I mean, part of it is when do you feel comfortable? Yeah. But I've found with my own experience... I feel like I'm someone I'm like, if I make it to three dates with you, I really like you. I am really interested. Yeah. And I'd say probably around if I'm doing 12 date rule, I'd be like, yeah, four date mark. I'd yeah. say four, maybe five. Um, because essentially I would just feel bad during the 12 dates. Like, oh, I didn't give lot. this person the opportunity to know this information because if it was a deal breaker like that, to me, I'm like, yeah, it's a deal breaker. That would be like if they didn't want kids and I didn't find that out till date 12. Oh my God. Yeah. That's totally I'd be like, what? valid. I put in all this time. Right. Right. Um, and not saying it should be a deal breaker, but well, no, whatever. if that's not in your, uh, if you, if you don't want to have kids and, uh, yeah, I mean, excuse me, if you want to have kids and the other person hasn't told you that that's their deal, you know, that they don't want to have kids. I mean, that's, right. um, but I also am, there's I, a physical line, right? Cause your rule is no sex, but if you want to be going down on each other, well, that needs to be this close too. So that's why I was like, I'd guess four. I don't know. What do you think? I think, I think for me is like five dates, but yeah. again, these are like, you know, the way I measure dates is different than other people. I consider anything that's, if I, if a phone calls more than 20 minutes in my eyes, that's a date. And I mm -hmm. can see a place where you go on a first date with someone, you have a phone call the next day, you do another FaceTime on day, th you know, the third day for like 30 minutes. And maybe the next time you see each other, and then that's, that's technically that's, that's the second date, right? But you've spent right. that time with them. You've talked to them at three separate occasions in three different moods and types of temperament that you might have where mm. it's like, you've established that comfort where it's like, oh yeah. Like, just like you might say like, oh, um, you know, my mother's a psychopath and it's this trauma that I carry with me. That's not something you would say on a first date. You might take a right. few dates. It's the same. It's like, oh, you know what? This is something that's <laughs> more emotionally traumatic than mm -hmm. physically traumatic. Uh, you know, this is, this is something that I have. You might have it too. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, but it's like so. uh, the thing I try to f tell myself before I disclose to people, um, or even maybe people feel this with something like a 12 day rule of you want to come across like, Hey, I am excited. Like when this is going to happen, when the sex yeah. is going to happen. Right. And I reframe that in my head of, I'm like, me telling someone I have herpes is actually one of the most flattering things I could do because it means I want to have sex with you. And that's a compliment. So that's actually the next question, how to best disclose. So what's the script here, Erica? Do you have a script? Because that was amazing what you just said. 
I, yeah, thank you. Um, <laughs> it took took some years, but I got there. <laughs> um, my script is the number one thing I tell people is try to keep it short and sweet. And especially when it's still a very emotional thing for you and it's not that easy to tell someone. Um, I always would remind myself like short, sweet to the point. So a lot of times I would just bring up like, Hey, you know, I've been having so much fun with you. Like we're going out with you has been so much fun, blah, blah, blah. There is something I do need to let you know. Uh, and then I break it down by, I say, I have HSV one, AKA herpes, AKA cold sorts, cold sores. And you know, it's something I need to disclose to my partners and let them know. You obviously have the right to know before we get physical. Um, and I just say, I've had it for X amount of years. I've never really had outbreaks and I've had a handful of partners and I never pass it to anybody. I can take medication if that would make you more comfortable, but I feel like you deserve to know. And I want to be physical with you, but obviously you have the right to know. And I need to let you know that. And then I just wait and see what they say, because what I've learned in all my years of disclosing is people's education on herpes varies a lot. Some people know nothing about it. And then other people will look at you and go, oh yeah, my friend has that. I know it's not a big deal. And the conversation is done. And there's no need to harp on it. There's no need to nail them with all these statistics and numbers and da 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 da. Because a lot of times I'm like, you got to just break the ice. You know, Erica, in listening to you too, the pause I think is actually the most important. Like at the end, like don't interrupt someone's process, like thinking at that moment, right? So you've given them this information. I do this like sometimes like in a sales call at work. Um, like I'll yeah. tell them like the price, like a sticker shock and that's okay. Like I just say, this is how much we cost. And then I just shut the fuck up. That's just it. Don't talk, let them figure it out in their heads. And then if they have questions, they will respond with those questions. Right. I don't want to like mm-hmm. let my own insecurity come out and like pre-answering questions that they haven't asked. Cause then right. you're trying to like sell them into something mm-hmm. that's like, you might not need to sell. Yeah. Like a big thing too, is like, you don't have to get into how you got it and who gave it to you and all these other things. Sometimes I've thrown in like, yeah, I got it about whatever years ago, someone I was dating had it, blah, blah, blah. But ultimately a lot of times I'm like, it's not bad to throw in at the end. Like I'm very comfortable talking about it. If you want to ask me questions, like, please feel free because people often then are nervous to ask the wrong question or something offensive. Um, But a lot of times I just more encourage people to talk to their doctor because I'm like, you're going to trust the doctor more than me. And every doctor I've ever met has been like, oh yeah, herpes, everybody has that. And they like brush it off like it's nothing. Or I've had many friends, (laughs) my one friend who's married now, she has herpes. Her current husband asked his doctor and his doctor immediately said, well, you're actually less likely to get it from someone who knows that they have it. And this woman's been honest with you. She knows what she has. She takes care of it. He said, you're more likely to get herpes just dating around randomly from people that don't know because they're not aware of any symptoms or maybe not taking any medication and things like that, which is another great point. But again, that means way more coming from a doctor professional than someone like myself. Right. Um, But that is a true fact though. For folks with oral herpes, when should they disclose? Before a kiss? Question mark. I mean, this is something that I feel like the world will be like, you don't really need to disclose until you are like feeling some type of cold sore coming. Um, and I and I would also subscribe to that of I'm like, 
I really don't think it's a big deal. I think I would just say something along the lines of, Hey, just so you know, I get cold sores sometimes. So I'll let you know if, you know, Hey, don't kiss me today. I feel one coming or something like that. Like I'll give you the heads up. Cause I don't want to pass it to you. And I feel like that's really all you got to say. It doesn't need to be like this big, serious conversation. Yeah, no, like 100% agree, Erica. I think that's like a really great way to talk about it. Someone pulled up an interesting one of she has genital HSV one and he has oral HSV one. And it's like, if either of us have an outbreak, listen, if either of you have an outbreak, you probably just shouldn't be being physical altogether. However, it only manifests in one place. So when I've dated people and they're like, oh, I actually get cold sores. I go, well, then we're all good. Like, I'm not going to pass this to you again. You already have the virus and already manifested, you know, orally on your mouth as opposed to your genitals. I did not um, know this. I love that how much I'm learning right now. Yeah. You can't so get is, the same there like type a, in both place, if that makes like, sense. Okay. This is going to be a really stupid question, but like, <laughs> is there a place on the internet or maybe out in real life where like people who have herpes are like, I'm going to date people who also have herpes. So I don't have to deal with any of this. So there is a website called positive singles. And I believe it gives you the option to, you know, use it for herpes, use it for HIV or any other type of like STIs that are permanent, more permanent. Um, I, however, have never really used it because the website is very, very old. And I often found people were not having any photos of themselves. Mm. So it's weirdly this world that was created to try to be like, oh, don't worry about the stigma. And if you're so nervous about telling people, we could just show you people that have it. But one, it's not very popular. So it doesn't have as many users as a Tinder, a Hinge, a Bumble. Um, but two, it almost, I felt like re reiterated so much shame that we have around it because people are on this website still trying to hide their identity and kind of hide who they are. And then I've also had, and, and there's mixed experiences. Some people have really enjoyed this website, still only date to this website. It's what they need and that's good for them. But for me, I really hated, like a lot of men would message you and be like, can you send me more pictures and blah, blah, blah. And there was almost weird demands that I was sitting there like, you don't even have one picture, buddy. Like my one picture is fine. I don't need to give you more, especially when we've just started talking. This is not limited to positive singles. It's also like, there are like, I know, um, there's like niche websites. Like I'll, I'll pick on my own community. Like there's like a Greek dating site. Right. Okay. Yeah. And then like the majority of people like do not put their photo up. Cause they're like, I don't want someone from my community to know, but then but then you have like, send me more photos. Send me, I'm like, you don't even have a one photo up. Why am I going to send you right. more photos? Like it's not limited. It's just like the, yeah. the stigma of like different communities, let's say. Right. Yeah. Um, or I understand like you're thinking, what if someone I know that doesn't know I have herpes is on the website and sees me? It's like, well, why are they on the website? Cause they also have it. Right. It's the same and thing. After learning that, like the majority of people have herpes. Yeah. It's not, it's like, at the end of the day, it's like a skin condition. It is honestly like, uh, all, but that actually, is what it is. That's you go to your dermatologist the for skin it. condition <laughs> that has like an emotional impact because we have been manipulated, manipulated by like late stage capitalism to just hate ourselves. Yeah. Uh, it's literally the same family as chicken pox and like chicken pox, <laughs> you have the one outbreak and now you're immune to chicken pox. And that's essentially kind of the same thing with herpes. Like, well, you have the outbreak and then you're immune to it. And so it's from the chicken box and shingles family, which is my, you know, my understanding of herpes all these years was like, I guess people get like one or two outbreaks a year. So similar to like someone getting the flu and I would never yep. break up over, over someone who has like the flu. I would just take care mm-hmm. of them and like 
can't have sex those two weeks because you have the flu. Like, okay, you know, so it's like, oh, herpes, same thing. Cool. Like, yeah, get your flu shot and then you remove that. And now you've got just herpes. Yep. Exactly. Like, so, thing. and that's just like, I, I think that, you know, I think we certainly need to destigmatize this. And I am so happy that um, people like you exist in the sense that you come at it from like a very positive place. I am just like so proud of you, my friend, because, you know, you're talking about something that is very common in a destigmatizing way. You're, you know, you're empowering people to date more empowered in their own relationships. They, they get to control the narrative and speaking in this way. A and B, I can't tell you how proud I was like sitting on the couch, watching you on James Corden doing your standup you. where you brought up your own experience with herpes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wanted to, I just wanted, I was like, screw it. I have the platform. It's promoting my podcast where I talk about it. And I, and I was very thankful that the booker uh, who books the standup there did not immediately say no because of the word herpes. Cause a lot of times with those TV sets, they just look at the transcript and they're like, Ooh, this word. Nope. You can't talk about it. Uh, so yeah. I was very, very happy that the booker worked with me and we got it approved and, and I was able to do it. Felt like wow. a full circle moment. <laughs> that is amazing. But, was um, anyone with you backstage when you went? Yeah. So funny. One person that came with me was this girl. Uh, I won't say her name. I'll keep her anonymous, but I met her actually through a herpes support group. Okay. And so her and a couple of my friends through that group are like my closest friends, obviously now. So it was really cool to also like have her there. And she was one of the people that really helped me be more comfortable about having it and talking about it and was always like a rock for me. So she was my one friend there. And then I had my childhood best friend who lives in LA was also there. And obviously she was one of the only people like I ever told when I first was being very private about having herpes. So it really was like a nice kind of beautiful full circle moment for me. Where did you go after that to eat? I mean, they recorded in the yeah. afternoon, right? <laughs> I went out to eat. Yeah. I went, uh, we went out to eat at like a nice restaurant and then we ended up going out and I, I ended up <laughs> actually linking with an old friend and I got laid that night. So I told herpes jokes on television. <laughs> got this laid is that the night. This is the new herpes commercial right here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you get to be on Literally. the late night show. You go to dinner, you go dancing and you can fuck, you can do anything with herpes. Yeah. Well, that's why, like, I often encourage people to at least tell some close friends they really trust, right? Or even family, if that's who you trust. Because I've had so many people say to me that I just know personally, they were like, you know, I'll be honest with you, Erica, until I knew you had herpes, I would have immediately said no to someone else that had it. And it normalizes it for people. Because even for myself, when I got it, I was like, oh, who can I talk to about this? And I knew one comedian that I saw do jokes about it. And that was the only person I knew that was public and open about it in some way that I could like talk and kind of trust with my own info. Right. Um, but I feel like that really helps to stigmatize it is like, yeah, if everybody had one good friend that had herpes, we would all sit there and go, Oh, who cares? Right. Cause it just normalizes it of like this, this good, wonderful person I know has this thing. Yeah. And obviously like, I think they're so wonderful and deserve to be with someone and it's not a big deal, you know? It's not a big deal, but also like, you're kind of making me think about like all these conversations I've had, you know, I go, I live in Greece for like two months a year. Right. And mm -hmm. I did I'm my undergrad there. And I could just recall all these conversations between like cousins and friends who are, who are just like in conversation, like as we're making salad, oh yeah, I've got herpes this week or, oh yeah, yeah I think, I think I'm getting, my symptoms are coming. And like, it's like, oh, there's a cold, I have a cold, so I can't kiss to this week or, and it's just like, cool. Like you didn't, no one, you don't bat an eyelash. You're just like, sounds like 
you know, sounds like the flu, like sucks for you this week. If you feel uncomfortable, I, do you need anything, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah. Uh, But also I think a big thing, obviously I know you deal with this with clients a lot of like, we all have friends or people we've seen stay in relationships that that we're not working, we're not good for them or go back to people that they never should have went back to. Right. And that is something I, I very much see. And I even did myself when I was new to having herpes, I went back to being with someone I never should have been with again. But the main reason was because they were cool about me having herpes and they didn't care. And that also is like why I very much am like, I like being public about it because so many people have messaged me being like, I'm terrified to leave the person I'm with because I have to go out in the world and possibly be rejected for this thing. When it's like, look, whatever you got going on and whatever someone's like accepted um, from you that you feel like is such a big deal. It's like a person who really likes you and cares for you will also accept that thing. But it's just terrifying to get back out there. And I've been there. I went back to somebody a year later that was like awful to me, manipulative, very narcissistic. But all I thought was just, oh, I just I don't have to have this conversation. I don't have to deal with the rejection. Right. So I get it. But at the same time, I'm like, I just I I love when people are open about like everything because I'm like, it just helps so much. It totally helps. Erica, I could talk to you forever. I'm going to include the links to both of your podcasts in the show notes, as well as the link to your Instagram so that everyone can follow you. Thanks. Yeah. And I'm at Sperica, S-P-E-R-I-C-A-A. So I'd love to see anybody at a show, ericaspera.com. I upload all my shows there. So Does thank your, you for having um, me. Do you upload the shows on your Instagram or on your website? Both, but the website there, there, the minute I get a show, it's on the website. So okay. that's more immediate. Or if you want to plan ahead. Okay, good. I'm going to include that link as well. So that way people can come see you at a show because you are hilarious and I'm so excited. I'm rooting for your success uh, from the sidelines. And um, thanks again for coming to the Ask a Matchmaker podcast. Thank you for having me. This is awesome. If you have herpes or any other STI, have a conversation, take these tools, send them this podcast (laughs) and, you know, good luck. It's okay. It's just the skin condition. And that's all. Be lovable, but more importantly, be likable. See you next week.